Good morning, good afternoon or good evening and welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremy McCandless and the project is for you and I together to work through the entire Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And here we are doing it today in season seven as we journey through the book of Leviticus. You're very welcome whether you're here for the very first time or you've been here from the very beginning. In our latest episode today, we're going to continue to look and round out Leviticus chapter 22, focusing on verses from 17 through to the end, verse 33. These verses set the foundation for understanding the criteria for offering a gift to the Lord. The passage will emphasize how it should be a free will offering, genuine gift of appreciation and devotion to God. Now, while the details of this may seem unrelated to our lives today, I promise you, friend, the core message remains the same and remains relevant. So welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Suppose you lived 4,000 years ago in ancient Israel and you felt moved in your heart to give a gift to God. How would and could you do that? Now today, of course, there are a myriad ways we can give a gift. We have all our modern methods of financial transactions. Money can be moved around in many different ways. However, in the context of ancient Israel, there was no bank accounts, credit cards, checkbooks, no plastic, never mind plastic money. Giving money was simply not an option for the vast majority of the Israelite people at that time, for they were a wandering nation, shepherds, a rural people. So what could you offer the Lord if that was the situation that you were in? Well, perhaps the thing you would consider offering was the only thing you could offer as a valuable and meaningful gift, perhaps a lamb from your flock. But what would be the appropriate choice? And that's when the challenge comes. The challenge of determining which lamb from the whole herd is the suitable one for the special offering. Are there specific requirements or qualifications for the special gift you want to give? And how can you discern which of your lamb would meet the criteria of giving a gift fit for a king? Well, if you have even a basic understanding of the Old Testament, you'll likely be aware that the offering should be, as described here and all over the Old Testament and the Levitical law, is the lamb, the best, the one without blemish, without spot. But what precisely does this term without blemish entail? Does the Bible provide a clear definition of this term? And furthermore, how do you choose from among your herd? Would the best be the youngest, or would age not even play a role? Because this is, after all, a crucial decision that you want to make to express something very special. Now, those sort of questions are unfamiliar to us today, because most of us are not shepherd, and we've never pondered such messages regarding offering a gift to the Lord. But the principle is revealed here, and I believe there's a valuable lesson to be learned for us today. Even though the particular practice of the sacrificial lamb, in that sense, is not directly applicable to us today on our part, but it still has relevance for us today in what it means. So with that in mind, I'm inviting you to journey with me as we continue through Leviticus chapter 22. Now, in our previous study, we explored the initial, the first part of this chapter. Today, we're picking up our journey starting with Leviticus 22, 17, 
I'm going to read for you today, and in the verse we read this. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and to all the Israelites, and say to them, If any of you, whether an Israelite or a foreigner residing in Israel, presents a burnt offering to the Lord, either to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering, you must present a meal without defect from the cattle or the sheep or the goats, in order that it may be accepted on your behalf as an offering to the Lord to fulfill that vow or freewill offering. It must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not bring anything with defect, because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd of the flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill such a vow, it must be without blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts or festering sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. You may, however, present a freewill offering, an ox or a sheep that is deformed or stunted, but it will not be accepted in the fulfillment of a vow. You must not offer to the Lord an animal whose testicles are bruised, crushed, torn or cut. You must not do this in your land, and you must not accept such animals from the hand of a foreigner and offer them as food of your God. They will not be accepted on your behalf because they are deformed and have defects. So, yeah, it's ancient archaic language, isn't it? But this passage is trying to set the foundations for understanding the criteria of offering gifts to the Lord. One of the key points to notice here is that the passage emphasizes making a free will offering akin to giving something valuable to the Lord. And the one giving should be giving out of genuine appreciation and devotion. And that principle, of course, still applies to all of us today. Not just the high priests and the sons here. The principle is inclusive and is just that a principle and it stands for everyone still today. Now, in this situation, to be accepted, the offering must be male without blemish. Now, while the exact definition of this idea of without blemish, without defect, is not clear, it highlights the need to present something perfect and acceptable to the Lord. Subsequent verses will clarify this criteria even more for us. Leviticus chapter 22, although its detailed administration of the offering doesn't apply to Christians to us today in any way, it still is meant to teach us a valuable lesson about the whole concept of giving of our best to the Lord and making personal sacrifices and following his guidance and maintaining reverence in our relationship with him. The passage here reflects the meticulous care that was expected for those who presumed to offer the Lord anything to him. And what we're meant to do is look at this and mirror our motivations with these requirements that were revealed here for the priests. So it's there to help us understand the importance of reverence in our approach to Almighty God. The idea of striving for perfection in our free will service of the Lord highlights the principle that the Lord does indeed deserve our very best and our utmost dedication. And this passage reinforces that. Well, in fact, it establishes that. It tells us that if we live that way, the Lord will value our sincere commitment to following him and are attempting to offer the best that we have. Even if in 
human terms, it's not perfection. Even if in and of ourself it's not maintaining, it's about the striving for excellence in our offering that's what's important here. This acknowledges that God will always appreciate any effort made simply to the best of our abilities. And of course this principle spreads more widely to all aspects of our life beyond just these animal sacrifices here. It applies to us today in terms of our time, our talents and any resources that we bring in service and thanksgiving to the Lord. The question it's asking is are you and I giving our best to him? Are we offering our best to him, not just our leftovers. The passage then transitions to the topic of time. In verse 26, says the Lord instructs, The Lord said to Moses, When a calf, a lamb or a goat is born, it is to remain with its mother for seven days. From the eighth day on, it will be acceptable as a food offering presented to the Lord. Do not slaughter a cow or a sheep and its young on the same day. So it's factual prescriptive instructions here. The specific significance of the seven-day period isn't explained actually in the text, but it conveys the idea of a certain preparatory phrase being essential before an offering can be acceptable. And then there's this prohibition against killing both the mother and the young in the same day. Now, while the reasoning behind this isn't explicitly disclosed here in the Old Testament text, there are some theories that suggest it has the dual purpose of allowing to maintain the nurturing relationship between a mother and a newborn, which is meant to, in some way, reflect the sacred nurturing collection established between God and his people, God the Father, God the Parent and his people, and his offspring. But on a very practical level, some have also pointed out it would also practically prevent the depletion of the animal stock. Anyway, moving on, next the passage addresses what are called Thanksgiving offerings, 22, 29 to 30. It says, when you sacrifice a thanks offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It must be eaten that same day and leave none of it till morning. For I am the Lord. So this highlights the importance of immediacy in expressing gratitude to the Lord. When we have something to be thankful for, when we have reasons to be thankful, our response should be prompt and wholehearted. And that's templated for us here in these verses. Then 31 to 33 closes off this chapter by saying, Keep my commandments and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name, for I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So finally, the passage concludes with this repeated reminder that we've seen before several times that returning phrase about keeping the Lord's commandments. And we know from the repetition how the performing Our life of service in this way is absolutely essential. Because by doing so, we are effectively, as it says, upholding the holiness of his name. This underscores that God's name is to be hallowed, revered among his people. It was the Lord himself who sanctified himself for us, it tells us. And through these sacrifices, it was the Lord himself who delivered us from bondage out of slavery. And it is the Lord himself who is indeed worthy of our devotion and our obedience. 
As we reflect on these Levitical practices together, surely we should be encouraged to offer the Lord our best, our very best today, and promptly also express our gratitude when a prayer is answered, and try and live in obedience to his commandments, thereby ensuring that his name is held high in the highest regard among his people, his community of faith, but also as a witness to the ordinary people who we live amongst and who live around us. The whole 22nd chapter of Leviticus, with its rules about making sacrifices, is really there to offer compelling encouragement that all of this is meant to be relevant for us today, just the same as it was for those ancient Israelites, because the key message revolves around the two essential requirements that we are to be obedient, we are to keep God's commandments, and we are not to take him or them lightly. These principles reflect the very heart of what the Lord has always desired from his people. Now the encouragement to keep his commandments extends beyond the specific, for us today, extends beyond the specific requirement for sacrificial animals as seen here. It's meant to convey a broader spiritual message in the sense that the Lord expects meticulous obedience for us. When we offer ourselves or our lives as living sacrifices to him, we are meant to commit to do it in a way which means following his guidance and obeying his words, following his precepts. It's not about just the things we do and the words that might come out of our mouth and what we say. It's what and how we do it as well. Now, while we today may not need to offer animals on altars, we are still meant to present our lives as offering. Our whole lives are willingly submitted to his will, because that's the ultimate sacrifice. But the second underlying current under this is that we're reminded not to profane his holy name. In other words, we're not to take God or his word lightly. So there's a sort of warning underlying this, a reminder that all this is underpinned by the holiness of God and approaching him, a holy God, in an appropriate way. He is set apart and he only is worthy of our reverence and praise and our respect. To profane his name, as it's described here, means to treat it with disrespect, to dishonour it in a sense. Therefore, our offering of ourselves as living sacrifice must include a commitment to uphold the truth and the sanctity of both God's name and his word in our lives. The motivating force behind these encouragement that the Lord is offering here is met through this declaration that we need to take on board the fact that he says and reminds us, look, I am the Lord. I am the one who sanctioned you. I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He is the one who brought us out of a state of sin to be your God and that we can be his people. I am the Lord, he says. This profound statement that runs as a motif throughout this passage, well, the entire book of Leviticus really, encapsulates the core of God's relationship with his people. It's a testament, a calling out of his redemptive work and his desire to be our God. God in Christ himself also redeemed us from the effects of living in a fallen world. He called us out of a place also, and he freed us from the effects of sin, both in its power and its penalty. And indeed, amazingly, even one day out of the very presence of sin, when we're called to be with him for eternity. 
The concept of being the people of God is, of course, a recurring theme in the Old Testament. It emphasizes the Lord's role as provider and guide and protector. He wants to shield us on our journey through life. It is he who declares that he wants to lead us and let us lie down in green pastures, and he wants to place us beside the still waters, as Psalm 23 tells us. The Lord's desire has always been to provide, guide, and protect his people. However, there's a dimension in this relationship that cannot be ignored. God is possessive of our love for us. He wants us to come and worship him and him alone. He insists on being the one and only God in our lives. He redeemed us. He set us apart for himself in order that we could respond in this way. And the Lord will not tolerate the pursuit of other gods or idols in our life. This jealousy, if you like, stems from his deep love and desire for an exclusive, devoted relationship between you and him. And isn't that in truth how all relationship is? All love, true love, is boundaries in that sense of exclusivity. We commit to love one person, one wife, one husband, above all other men and women. Now, while we today obviously no longer offer animal sacrifices, we do and can and are meant to offer our everyday lives as living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12 beautifully conveys this truth for us in its opening verse, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This verse encapsulates for me the very essence of Christian living. However, it's crucial to clarify a common misconception regarding this verse. Some people suggest that this represents a once and for all dedication, a singular moment reflected in some wings of the Christian church as a sort of childhood statement or an act of service, like maybe a christening or a baptism. Now, I don't believe that's the case at all that Paul is describing here. I think he's talking about an ongoing daily presentation of ourselves to God, a continual commitment to live according to his will in an act of daily devotion, obedience and service. So in essence, this passage invites us to offer the Lord the entirety of our lives as living sacrifices. It urges us to maintain a lifestyle of obedience and reverence for God's name as we live it out in the everyday. The Old Testament principles revealed here of offering the best without defects and adhering to a particular timetable for sacrifices Well, in that, we find a New Testament spiritual counterpart in that we are to give ourselves fully to the Lord and to commit to obey his commandments and to honour his name as best we can each and every day. So as we conclude today, we are faced with an intriguing quandary. What is the key word of that verse I read to you, Romans 12, verse 1? Let me read it to you again, this time from the New International Version translation. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's the word therefore at the beginning of this verse. It points to the fact that this is a concluding statement. It's concluding what has been talked about so far. And this word therefore, I believe, links back to the entire letter and serves 
if you like, as a culmination of the book of Romans' overarching message. Throughout Romans, Paul has expounded for us on grace and mercy and how God has saved us by faith. And he then reaches this chapter 12 and says, therefore, in other words, he's summarizing the passage and calling us to respond to God's mercy in this way as a comprehensive response to the entire message of the gospel that he's been speaking about through 12 previous chapters. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 instructs us to present our bodies as living sacrifices as the culmination of where the gospel is meant to bring us to. And he explains how we do this by characterizing it in this verse by three vital qualities. The first is living, signifying our ongoing dedication, a continual commitment to live as living sacrifices. Second, we are to be holy, indicating that we are to be set apart for the Lord's purposes. That should be our primary motivation in life. And finally, that our offering should be acceptable, reflecting that it's offered with genuine motivation and a heart committed to following God's will. In this way, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, echoes the concepts found in this whole book of Leviticus. Now, while Leviticus at that time focused on the physical aspects of this and the detailed administration of it, Romans emphasizes the spiritual aspect for us in our lives. How our lives should become the offering, characterized by purity, dedication, and acceptability to God. Presenting our bodies as living sacrifices is the only appropriate heartfelt response to God's immense, amazing mercy and grace. In a way, it's a logical answer to give to God, the God who first loved us and redeemed us, to give him everything that he has redeemed out of us, our lives. We should live our lives in dedication. We can make no more significant offering to the Lord than that. We're simply meant to strive to try and live holy acceptable lives, acceptable in service to him. So may I suggest to you that the argument presented in Leviticus chapter 22 is very similar, if not in fact identical, to the argument presented in Romans 12 verse 1. Here in Leviticus chapter 22, we are presented with a very significant message. The text is highlighting the acceptability of certain types of animals for sacrifices, while also designating others as unacceptable. These sacrifices are offered then as a response to God's act of redemption. The core argument of Leviticus can be summarized as follows. God has redeemed his people and he desires to be our God. And in light of this, it is only reasonable that we should obey his commands as best we can and aim high aim for perfection in how we do it. And this same line of reasoning is found in Romans, only underpinned by grace this time. God wants to be our God, and we are to do the same in offering our lives as living sacrifices. But Paul will also tell us the benefit of that, in that he also tells us in Romans that if we do that, then all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So there's an amazing benefit out of living this way. The connection between Leviticus 22 and Romans 12 is clear. Both passages, both chapters stress the importance of dedicating ourselves wholly to God 
in response to him, in response to his mercy, his grace and his redemption. And this dedication is seen as our completely reasonable service. It's a logical, rational thing to do, but of course it must also be a heartfelt response to all that God has done for this. As we reflect on these Levitical principles, we are encouraged to offer the Lord our very breast. I hope you're encouraged to offer the Lord your very breast. I hope you're prompted to express your gratitude the next time you see that God has done something in your life and that you are also prompted to live in obedience to his commandments, thereby ensuring his name is held high, held in the highest regard amongst his people, but also beyond that. The heart of what the Lord desires from his people remains unchanged. It is simply obedience, reverence and exclusive devotion to him. You know, when we consider the wondrous cross and God's love for us, our response, how could our response be anything but a thankful, wholehearted devotion to him? Our lives devoted in dedication to the service of God. For that too is our reasonable service. Okay, friends, there we are. That's it for today. I hope as we're cracking through this book of Leviticus, you're really, maybe for the first time, understanding how these principles are still underpinned and played out in our everyday Christian life. I'd like to thank you for joining me, and I'd like to remind you, particularly if you're here for the first time, then click on the subscribe button wherever you get this podcast from, and that way you need never miss another single episode. That may you can join with the thousands of people who've made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily life. And if you've got a moment, why not visit us on our homepage, on thebibleproject.buzzsprite.com. That's where the podcast is hosted and that's where you'll find a full episode notes page giving an overview of this passage, but you'll also even find a complete transcript of pretty much everything I've said today. And all of those resources are free and freely available for you to use in whatever way you find helpful. And if you do and have found this podcast series helpful, then why not consider liking it sharing it so that other people may have the opportunity to make the decision to bring this study, the in-depth study of the Bible, and make it part of the rhythm of their daily lives also. You'll also find ways you can connect the ministry there and receive other free Bible teaching resources on places like my LinkedIn page and on the socials, and particularly on places like Patreon where you can partner with this ministry, thereby enabling it to be in free on all these, on so many podcast and other platforms around the world so thank you for everyone who's doing that and thank you for simply being here today and i do trust i'll see you back here again tomorrow or whatever day works for you but i'll be here on the bible project daily podcast bye-bye for now